Welcome back to the 159th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including why and how DC teens are getting away with being a little bit more criminal. Senator Josh Halley has said that there should be a ceiling to credit card interest rates and a final article talking about how people are turning from Christianity and going towards MAGA. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump into our daily debate. So what role does the government play in securing your preparations or your prosper? Yeah, actually, we'll reframe it. Do they have the duty of pres- preserving, of creating a prosperous future for every single citizen and individual? And that may seem like a weird question. Throw your comments down in the comment section. But there's a through line through all of today's articles, and I really want to highlight them, and I think you'll be able to see all of them once we get to them. So, let's jump to our first article that comes from the Washington Free Beacon. DC teens are committing crimes in droves. Punishment is light. So, of course, you have seen stories about this so far that, hey, there are lots and lots of people committing crimes, and they're kind of getting light sentences. And... When it comes to teenagers, there there is an argument there, which is we want to not impose something that will ruin their life. We don't want to charge them as adults. We want to charge them as juveniles, and we want them to come out of the criminal justice system or the juvenile system reformed. We want them to come back and be thriving members of society, and that's even why we seal most youth records so that they don't have that burden on them for the rest of time, so they can apply somewhere and you know get a job, even though they may have been a little bit rambunctious as children or teenagers. But there are certain limits to that, which is if we're too nice, if we're too lenient, as the Washington Free Beacon will argue here, then guess what? Kids are going to just keep doing it because they know they can get away with criminal behavior without really getting a terrible sentence. So there is a fine line to walk there. How much do we want to help reform and, you know, punish these kids so that they realize there are consequences to their actions? So there's that fine line. Do you punish them too much and then actually throw them into the criminal justice system forever because they feel like it's retributive punishment? Or do you become really lenient, but then also possibly encourage that behavior again because they feel as though they can get away without feeling the repercussions of their actions? So let's describe the situation in D.C. right now. Quote, Washington, D.C. teenagers who went on a days-long robbing spree last month cannot be charged as an adult and will thus avoid significant punishment. The latest example of a juvenile crime surge that critics say the city refuses to take seriously. D.C. police in late August arrested five teenagers who were caught on video attempting to carjack a man they followed using a different stolen vehicle. So can we just five five teenagers, they're rolling around and they're trying to carjack people? The fact that teenagers are doing this, and when they say teenagers, they can mean anything from 13 to 17. But still, I mean, one of the reports talks about a 13-year-old goal. Actually, that's the next line. 
for one of the suspects, a 13-year-old girl, that incident came at the tail end of a four-day string of robberies. And some of the other people were 16, 17, and we have 15-year-olds doing this as well. It's insane that people this young are resorting to criminality. And I don't know if they're resorting to it because they're in desperate straits. I don't know if they're resorting to it because they're just bored. So, I mean, when people are bored and they want something to do, sometimes they fall into bad habits. And this is it's just outrageous. It's, it's not okay that we have the next generation. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter their financial means. It doesn't matter any of that. The fact that the next generation is participating in this sort of stuff is sad to see. And when I hear and see stories like this, it breaks my heart. Because imagine if they this person goes through the criminal justice reform system and comes out the other side having a deep resentment for America or for a certain locality because of what they did, and they resort to crime. Or imagine people just let them off. The D.C. attorney says, oh, well, no, no, we're going to charge them as a minor, but even then we're only going to give them, let's say, you know, six months in, in prison or six months community service. Honestly, I think community service... And not just like, oh, go pick something up, but community service where you actually have to go into the community, give back. These sort of programs I think would be more useful because, one, it's an actual, it actually inhibits their everyday life. So they actually have to live their life but also have to give back. But also it teaches them or gives them the ability to go into the community and see the community that they possibly hurt or they tried to commit some crime in and see, oh, wow, this is a thriving place that I can actually have a positive impact in. I think that would be an interesting Thing rather than jail, because let's be clear, I think jail is a, a great thing. You break the social contract, you break the rules of a society, you should be punished for it. Sometimes you should be removed from that society. But I also understand that, especially in a place like D.C., the resources are probably very limited for certain jails, so maybe we could have deferral programs or community service programs where they are mandated obviously if you don't come then you go to jail but they actually make them last a little bit longer maybe it's until the age of 18 if someone's 16 and they have to do this for two years they're going through everyday life but then they're also having to give back they're having to extract that time from their everyday life rather than being put into a juvenile prison where it literally just is their life to be a criminal i think maybe there's an argument there but they still have to be strong repercussions to these actions otherwise Children like this are just going to continue to do exactly what they are doing. And this really does speak to the youth problem, or at least the specific youth problem that D.C. is going through right now. Quote, the ordeal reflects D.C.'s ongoing juvenile crime surge, an issue that local experts and crime victims say the city is failing to combat. More than 63% of D.C. carjacking arrests this year have involved juveniles. Now, it's a little deceptive there, involved juveniles. It could just be one juvenile in the car with five other adults, but still has involved them, according to a city database. And a 14-year-old district resident was charged with felony murder in July. D.C. Attorney General Brian Schwalb, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, Schwalb, has nonetheless defended his emphasis on rehabilitation, restorative justice, when it comes to juvenile crime saying that during an April town hall that kids are kids and should not be treated as adults. Either this earlier this summer, Schwab opposed a measure to expand pretrial detention for dangerous juveniles. 
For former advisory neighborhood commissioner Dennis Rucker Krepp, a D.C. Democrat, Schwab approach, Schwab's approach emboldens violent crime. Murder and armed robbery and armed carjackings are not juvenile crimes, Kremp told the Washington Free Beacon. They are adult crimes and should be prosecuted as such. So I, I do agree with this, and maybe I need to make a revisory statement to my previous one about the you know long term of community service, which still could be a adult level pr- punishment. I mean, we have those sort of programs for adults as well. But that's for the more minor stuff, you know, the things that don't involve having a gun, threatening people, you know, armed robbery, things like that, but more small-time crimes in order so that it may seem a little harsh that you have to do something for two years, but it does say, hey, you have to be responsible for this. But when you're going around wielding a gun at somebody, you are imminently threatening their life. And that is a huge, huge deal in our legal system. The legal system is literally meant to defend the liberty, life, and property of its citizens. So when you are directly threatening somebody's life, that is going against their natural rights to exist. And it is the one, one of the many things, actually, I take that, one of the few things that our Constitution and our legal system should absolutely protect and punish very heavily. And... These children, they may not fully understand the gravity of what they're doing. That's fine. I I think that argument could be listed out, but I don't think it necessarily holds water. The second that you make a choice that you are willing to threaten somebody's life, and you may have to follow through on that, you may be willing to end somebody's life. If you're not willing to end somebody's life, why would you bring the gun besides as a threatening mechanism? And even then, you know the possibility of somebody's life ending if you have one of those weapons. Otherwise, you wouldn't use it as an intimidation tactic because you wouldn't understand how intimidating it is to lose your life. That is a clear decision, and that is directly violating one of the most basic rules we have in this nation that we've had in Western culture since the Bible, since the Judeo-Christian worldview, and I guess you could also say all the Abrahamic religions worldview, that life is sacred and is given on to us by a creator. I mean, come on. At that point, you can't truly tell me that this person is not taking on more responsibility and should be treated at least more harshly, and in some cases like an adult. I I think that any argument otherwise is just naive, and it implies that people don't understand the the true value of life and what picking up that gun means. And I'm sorry, I, I feel like that just is extremely, extremely naive, especially in a culture where we have lots of stories about how guns have done terrible things all over the news, all over the place. Come on. You understand what you're doing when you pick up that gun. You understand the threat that you are. You understand the action that you are taking, the violating of somebody else's natural right to have a happy, a protected, prosperous life, and how you could possibly cut that short. To say anything otherwise is a little bit naive, and this is where I do agree with the Washington Free Beacon for the most part. So the responsibility aspect Quote, in one case, a 15-year-old who shot Washington commander's running back, Brian Robinson Jr., and killed another teen was sentenced to just six years in jail, the maximum amount allowed for juveniles at that age. The slain teen's mother lamented that the district's inability to prosecute the offender as an adult. 
Quote, I think if you're old enough to shoot someone and take someone's car with a gun, you should be able to do life in jail. End quote. And I agree with that. So the, remember when I said at the beginning there's a through line between all of these articles. The first aspect of that that I want to bring up is at what point is does it fall on the government, the judicial system, to instill responsibility in our citizens? If you are able to wield a gun to shoot somebody and to steal their car or even just steal the car with the threat of a gun, you are taking on a level of responsibility. You are taking somebody else's life into your hands. I laid that out. So at what point does the government or the legal system say, okay, you took on that responsibility. Now you have to deal with the consequences of your actions. This is something that we lack nowadays, and I'm not saying it's just for criminality. I'm saying it in general. We lack an understanding of the responsibilities of the actions and even just the words that we say sometimes. People are not willing to take responsibility, and this is what happens when you have a society that is willing to be lenient. And sometimes if you do not really punish somebody for their crimes, it will not stick in their head. The old example that I always gave is if you eat an extra, and I know, totally different world, but if you eat an extra 500 calories the next day, you're going to be one-seventh of a pound heavier. It takes 3,500 calories to gain a pound, and if you eat 500 calories over your calorie limit, you will be one-seventh of a pound heavier. There, It's just straight physics. It's just straight math. You can't avoid it. And when you understand that, you understand there are actual repercussions to your actions. So in turn, you should take responsibility when you gain that extra seventh of a pound and say, oh, not say, oh, no, I'm stressed. Oh, I had to. No, you chose to eat the 500 calories. Not a good thing or a bad thing inherently. But if you get mad at yourself or you get mad that you're gaining weight, it, you only have yourself to blame. So when you do these terrible crimes and you don't necessarily think about the repercussions, that's on you. You should know. You should take the time to understand what you are doing. And these systems that don't actually punish people for their actions does not reinforce responsibility. It does not reinforce the idea that your consequences have actions. It's, oh, you can do whatever you want and you'll get a light sentence from the attorney. And these sort of, not just in D.C., these sort of programs or these sort of attorneys generals who are lightly prosecuting people, they are distorting the social field. They're saying that certain crimes aren't actually worth prosecuting. Therefore, those certain crimes, actually, we don't have to attach responsibility to the people who violate them. And I think that is terrible. I think it will lead to a problem going down in the next 20 years of an even larger distortion between reality and what people believe will happen when they do something. And that is not going to end well, in my opinion. All right, so keep that in mind that the government, that the law system, that certain attorneys generals are not instilling responsibility and it will hurt the future of this nation. It will hurt the citizens of this nation going into the future when they don't necessarily feel as though they have to take responsibility for their actions. So let's jump to our second article that comes from Real Clear Politics. Senator Josh Hawley progresses a 18% credit card interest rate cap. So if you know what he means here, it's that 
at the top end of the interest rate. So that beautiful little number where it's APY on your, sorry, APR on your credit card, it will probably at this point say anything from 20 to 29%, which is the amount of interest that you have to pay on the money that you did not pay off last month. So let's say that, and I'm going to use nice round numbers here because I'm stupid and I can't do very complex math very quickly. Let's say that you left $100 on your credit card balance and you weren't able to pay it off. You know, you had a rough month. And right now you could be looking at an average APR of 25%. So now with interest, you're going to be paying 25 extra dollars. You're going to have $25 added to your balance the next time that you go to pay that card because the bank has taken on the liability of giving you out that money. You haven't been able to pay them back within that month. So now they're going to say, hey, you didn't make your full payment. I mean, we said you had a minimum payment. That's fine. But for us to hold on to this liability, for us to take on the responsibility of the money given out to you, we're going to have to charge you a little bit of extra money in order to ensure that you realize that you have to pay us back. Otherwise, it's just going to keep growing. You're going to get more in debt. And Josh Hawley is saying, hey, 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 okay, you know, that 25%, that, that's nice, but I feel like it's not necessarily doing the people good, so let's cap it at 18%. Instead of $25 for that month in interest, you're actually only going to have to pay 18 I mean, you know, that's a $7 difference over time that really, really does add up. But it's, it's a really interesting, I don't want to get too far into it because I do want to read from the article and then I'll bring up my criticism of it a little bit later. But just hold on to that idea of is it best for people? Because I'll point out why I think it isn't actually best for people when we get a little bit further into this article. Quote, on the question of credit, the senior Republican senator of Missouri finds himself well to the left of the White House only slightly less progressive than Democratic socialists like Senator Bernie Sanders and Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and very much out of step with the business-friendly old guard of his party. Senator Josh Halley will introduce legislation to cap the annual percentage rate of credit cards at 18%. Real Real Clear Politics is the first to report. The average APR, by most estimates, now hovers around 24% mark. The Americans are being crushed under the weight of record credit card debt, Halley said just last week after the Federal Reserve Bank of New York reported the national household credit card debt had hit a sobering and historic $1 trillion milestone. The government was quick to bail out the banks just this spring, he continued, referencing the now-liquidated Silicon Valley Bank of California and Signature Bank of New York, but has ignored working people struggling to get ahead. Setting credit card rates then, or as the Republicans said, would be a fair and common sense way to give the working class a chance, end quote. So what he's saying is, hey, the people that are paying back this debt, they're having a really hard time. So if we lower their interest rate, the money will accumulate more slowly or the money that they owe will accumulate more slowly. So therefore, they actually have a chance of paying it back. That is a valid, valid argument. But let me ask you another question. If a company can only get an 18% return on an asset, if they can only get 18% from that credit card that they are giving out to people, are they more or less likely to give it to people 
who have a little bit riskier of a credit score. If, let me explain my logic here. If somebody has a 650 credit score and they have, you know, maybe not made all of their payments on time, maybe they've defaulted on a loan, or maybe they're just a little bit behind on a loan, and a credit, they apply for a credit card, that credit card company is going to look at them and say, okay, so they're a little bit riskier. That means that we're going to have to give them a little bit higher of an interest rate. We're going to have to watch them because we know they have a history of not necessarily paying off their bills. Well, okay, we'll do that, but we're also going to have their interest rate at 27%, just so that they know there are lots of repercussions to their actions, and they'll be really incentivized to not miss a payment because then, look, they're going to have to pay instead of that 25 or that 18 that Senator Josh Halley is proposing, they'll have to pay $27 on every $100 that they leave in their account as debt. So this mechanism, the fluctuating credit rates or the APR, they are actually a way for the company to mitigate risk. They are a way for the company to actually take on riskier clients in order so that those clients can have access to that credit and the companies can gain access to the person's funds when they pay back or they have to pay back interest. And the reason that this is important is because lots of people, lots of people don't have great credit right now. Some kids are coming out of college and they don't haven't understood credit cards, their parents haven't prepared them for it, or just some people had a really hard time paying off student loans or loans that they took out for some other reason. So credit scores don't necessarily look great. So if the company can't charge over 18% in interest, then guess what? They don't have a risk mitigation technique anymore. They don't have a reason to take on those riskier borrowers. And unfortunately, America's system is that credit is absolutely essential. Taking out loans, having a loans on the book, paying properly shows that you're a responsible person. And if you are never given the opportunity to open that credit card, if you're never given the opportunity to start having a credit history, then you can't actually work up that ladder and show that you're responsible. Because the even the most risky, if you have a 450 credit score, some companies are just going to run away from you if they can't charge you 27% interest because they're not willing to take on that risk. They're not going to see the rate of return at 18%. Now, that's very far and few between, which is Josh Hawley's point, which is companies are still going to try to get people's money at 18%. There's no doubt about that. But the lowest people, the people that have the worst credit score that need these more flexible rates in order to actually get credit, build up that history so they can get those better cards, that they can get the better rates for their mortgage, for their auto loan, they're going to be left out of the market. They're actually not going to be able to scale the economic ladder, so to speak. They're going to be stuck at the bottom getting really crappy cards that don't give good rewards, that don't give good cash back, so then they can't actually utilize those benefits in order to boost up the ladder. If you have a card that gets 1% one ca one cash back and you spend $1,000, whoopee, you're getting $10. Great, you can put that $10 toward your statement balance. But some credit cards give 3% cash back on gas and 3% on groceries. Some other cards do just 2% flat. 
and imagine that extra $10 that goes towards, because if you spend 1000 instead of $10, you get $20. Or if you have it split and you're maybe doing some gas, some groceries on it, you could have up to $23, $25 in cash back, which helps pay off the amount of debt that you have accrued over the course of the life of the credit card. So all these systems, they actually kind of build upon each other. And you may be saying $10 isn't a big deal, but when you're pinching for every cent of gold penny, that $10 is going to be huge. So having a system that limits the uh, highest APR on a credit card is just going to dissuade companies from taking on people who are in a worse position. And I think that is not the proper goal of the American system. The government should stay out of it. The government should let these credit card companies charge really high rates for the people that are really risky and really low rates for the people that are not risky. And you may be saying, well, that's that's not necessarily fair. But let me ask you this. If they charge really high rates for the people that are risky, all those people have to do, all those people that are risky have to do is spend $5 on that credit card a month. They could still use their debit card and instead just spend $5 on that credit card a month and pay it off. Look at that. They won't even have to worry about how, how high the interest rate is because they won't be leaving money in the account in order to pay the interest. And let's be clear. I know that argument could work inversely. Well, if it's 18%, people could just pay it off. But if they don't have access to actually get the card in the first place, they can't do the technique that I just implemented. And that's exactly what happens when you limit the way that these companies can mitigate their risk, therefore take on people who are in a worse position. That's where I think this bill will end. I would love Senator Hawley to somehow see this, or I would love to go through Twitter and reply to this, because I love his good-hearted nature. He even uses like biblical language about, oh, stopping usury. But it's just all cloak and dagger. I think that he just has a bone to pick with the credit card and debit card industry, because I think he is even smart enough to understand that these companies need some risk mitigation, and we want people to be able to jump up the economic ladder. So they have to have these options open to them, even if they're really crappy cards. If they can't even get them in the first place, how do they build that credit to get the better cards? I know, it's a little bit of a circular argument. There's no doubt about that, but thank you for sticking with me. And you can see where is the government's role in allowing the people to prosper. Get more involved in their lives and make it harder in this case, or stay out and make it a little bit easier. All right, this last article comes from the National Memo. Young Americans leaving church over MAGA ideology and Christian nationalism. So, the youth, they are leaving the church. That is, of course, something that we've been hearing. I have even said it on this show for quite some time. The younger generation is not necessarily inspired by the Holy Gospel. They don't necessarily agree with all of the church's values, so they seem to be leaving in droves. At least that is the framing that National Memo uses here. And they actually have some polls to back it up. Quote, in polls conducted in 2015 and 2022, the Barna Group asked respondents how much they agreed or disagreed with the following statements. It is becoming harder to find mature young Christians who want to become pastors. In 2015, 69% agreed either strongly or somewhat. In 2022, the number had increased to 75%. Biologer Hemet Hemta analyzes these figures in a column published on his Friendly Atheist blog on September 8th, and he cites 
the far-right Christian nationalism and MAGA movement as key reasons why so many young Americans have no desire to become pastors, end quote. So this is him saying, okay, there, it's not saying that MAGA is pulling people away from churches. It's not saying that Christian nationalism is pulling people away from these churches. What it's saying is actually it's repelling a certain segment of the population. He's not saying that these movements are stronger than the church and therefore gripping people's attention. He's actually saying that, no, people don't agree with these movements that are also being present in certain churches. So they are trying to leave that church. They're trying to get out of that community. Quote, it, is, it doesn't help that most pressing social issues of our time put conservative Christians on the wrong side of the moral divide, to the point where even younger Christians often disagree with what their churches teach. Meta argues 38% of white evangelicals under 35 support abortion compared to 16% of those over 65. Younger evangelicals are more likely to support marriage equality. And in 2020, younger white evangelicals were less likely than their parents and grandparents to support Donald Trump and Republicans in general, end quote. And, you know, this is really, really interesting, this last one, especially because Gen Z is the most... Republican or the most conservative generation in a while. That doesn't mean that there are more conservatives than Democrats, but as a proportion of the population, there are more conservative people in Gen Z than millennials. I don't know if that holds true for Xers, but we're pretty close. We're closer to the boomers than most of them. So it's really interesting to see this point of view. And I think maybe on social issues, they're right, because we as Gen Zers have grown up in a time when these social issues have been pushed and pushed and pushed, and they've kind of been renormalized. But I think on more like economic issues, there are a lot of Gen Zers that really love the free market. And from my experience, there are, let's be clear, there are lots of them that don't love the free market, that don't love a non-protectionist policy, or they really want tariffs, which is not a free market point of view there's there's definitely part of that but a lot of them that i've talked to do seem to lean a little bit more conservative especially among males so that's where i kind of dispute the author here but he's also looking at nationwide data i've only been to one or two places and actually had these sort of conversations so maybe i'm missing something but i also think it is important to ask the question what are we doing to secure the future of our nation? We need more people who have a similar moral framework. The larger the moral framework is, the larger the divide is, the harder it is to have a society that will thrive. And this is the final through line. We talked about how the government or the legal system needs to instill responsibility. We talked about how the government needs to get out of certain programs or certain laws that are going to actually limit the upward growth potential of its citizenry. And now we need to talk about somebody, something healing this social wound in order to allow us to not rip ourselves apart and therefore prosper going forward because we have a common set of ideals. So while this through line is a little bit tentative, I wanted to have all these articles today because I felt this through line when I was reading all of them, even though I was doing it on separate days. All right, so let's jump to our daily delight. My Modern Met. Man dresses up as dog's favorite chew toy, and the reaction is wholesome. So, you know, some people dress up to surprise their kids for their birthdays. You know, I had Batman and Robin when I was a little bit younger. And some people, they, they surprise their dogs. 
quote, a short minute-long video of the big reel reveal is an instant serotonin boost. At the start, the camera shows the beautiful golden, golden actively playing with a small stuffed toy of the character Gumby. But the Gumby that he sees here, <laughs> this Gumby, he actually came to life. Quote, wearing a life-size Gumby costume, Messies approaches Jolene. Jolene's the dog, by the way. Messies is the owner making him unrecognizable to the dog at first. Jolene stares at Messi's transfixed and slowly nears the massive moving toy, end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute photos or videos or see how this one ends, or you want to read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button where you can find all of them. Also down there, there is a link to the podcast on Spotify, Podcast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle, at your daily flip where i post a twitter tirade every tuesday and thursday with all that said there's only one more thing to say stay safe don't die